Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Howdy, TECN.TV. I'm back, and I'm Steve Abramowitz, and this is the Mill Creek View podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. Represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not... Uh, that's our disclaimer at the end. Yes, I, I don't know how that happened. Keep going, keep going. This time, special guest Ed Martin, and welcome to our People in the News episode where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. And today we are talking with Mr. Ed Martin. Phyllis Schlafly Eagle Support American Sovereignty, the group opposes opening U.S. northern and southern borders to a North American community or security and prosperity partnership or any kind of economic integration. They oppose all encroachments against American sovereignty through United Nations treaties or conferences that try to impose global taxes, gun registration, energy restrictions, feminist goals, or regulation on our use of oceans. And they support the development of an anti-ballistic missile defense to protect American lives. Ed Martin is the former chair of Missouri Republican Party, former CNN commentator, lawyer for some J6 defendants, and knows this obstruction charge case before the Supreme Court tied to the bipartisan Sarbanes-Oxley Act passed by Congress in 2002 very well. Prosecutors in at least 310 January 6-related cases have referenced this act, notably Section 1512. This could change 2024 as we know it. Ed is here to discuss Jan 6 family defendants he represents as the three-year mark from January 6 approaches. Just passed. Ed is the New York Times bestselling author of The Conservative Case for Trump and has appeared on every major TV network and hundreds of radio stations and now the Mill Creek View. There he is right there. He serves as an articulate advocate for Donald Trump's policies that put America's first. Formerly trained as a lawyer and ethicist, Ed is the president of Phyllis Shaftley's Eagles and the handpicked successor to Phyllis. He was the Missouri Republican Party chairman and a member of the Republican National Committee from 2013 to 15. He lives in Virginia, in the swamp, not of the swamp, <laughs> with right. his wife and four children, host of Pro-America Report radio show WYNK. Yes. Hello, Mr. Martin. How are you today? I'm great, Steve. Great to be with you. Thank you for the chance uh, to be with you and your great listeners. And I'm a big fan of Tennessee and uh, glad to be with you. Great. Well, hopefully people will hear you and become a big fan of you, too. Uh, but first off, tell everyone that might not know who the great Phyllis Schlafly is and how she'll oh, go down man. in history as yeah. a great Republican woman. Yeah, she was a great lady. She died in 2016 at the age of 92. She was a, had an extraordinary life. She used to like to tell people that she had it all just not all at once. And she meant by that she had a wonderful relationship with her husband. He was about 15 years older than her and they were great partners. She, They learned together. She would talk about how uh, they did things, so many things together. And, you know, one, one of the great images I like to tell people was in the early 1960s, might've even been 58 or 59, she and her husband went on vacation to uh, down to Georgia in one of those coastal islands and they bribed the concierge and she got the first list of all the attendees at the Bilderberg conference, the famous Bilderbergers. And that was Phyllis and her husband. That's the kind of thing they did together. They were great family. She had six children. She has six children. And then uh, all these different things she did. Phyllis actually came out of the depression and came from very humble background, worked her way through. She always considered herself a reader and a writer. 
And her big focus was communism until uh, after the uh, 19, late 1960s. And she she was one of the lay experts on um, the Soviets. And she was a hardliner. And when everyone else was saying, oh, we just get along like we do now, people say, oh, maybe the Chinese communists will be friendly if we trade with them. And Phyllis was like, nope. Uh, but then she got into what she called the pro-family movement. And, and her real interest was loving America. She was honored to be appointed to the bicentennial of, of the Constitution Commission, which was filled with real hot shots, top people. And uh, she loved the Constitution, loved America. And uh, and as you mentioned in your introduction, she believed in America's sovereignty. And she saw the chipping away of the sovereignty in America from multilateral trade deals to international organization to a Congress that was rolling over to uh, the executive and to the UN. And, and so she was very uh, articulate on that. And, and we continue that work today. We could do a whole show on Phyllis. She's that yeah, important to the conservative movement. Maybe you'll yep. come back one day and we will do that. But yeah, real I'd love quick, to. I love the to. Eagles. Yep. How did that start and what's it been yeah. doing and what can we well, expect I, from I, it in the future? I, I, yeah, that's a great question. Actually, it's a fun, it's a wonderful story. Phyllis was about to ascend to be the president of the National Federation of Republican Women. It was 1967. They'd never had a first vice president ever not become the president. And in 1967, because Phyllis had been such a hardliner, she wrote a choice, not an echo in 1964, which basically named names and said the Republican establishment from the eastern cities was was giving us losers and they weren't good and so they bust in voters this is no joke to dc and they beat phyllis at the election and she failed to become the president of the national federation of republican women women incredible voter fraud anyway she went home to missouri and she realized she had already rented the ballroom in in January of 1968, to have the first meeting, she thought it was going to be the Federated Women, this big meeting. So she invited all the people that supported her. And that was the first gathering of eagles. And from 68 until today, we have this group. We tell people we are conservative, but we know politics. We know how to how the game is played. And all these years later, we have an annual gathering of eagles. We have eagles all across the country. We don't have as many numbers as other organizations. You might get a, a conservative organization that says they have 100,000 people, but we've got the right 10 to 15,000 that know how the game is played. And a lot of times we're influencing things uh, in ways that people don't see because we know politics. Uh, and that's that's why uh, that's what we do. We don't necessarily we like the credit sometimes, but we mostly want to keep America uh, the way it's been and, and make it special and and fight for the Constitution. So we can talk more about that. But it's uh, the Eagles are today. We're in most of the states and we've got this, con, this sort of loose federation of Eagles, very few paid staff. Uh, but we uh, are are doing the things that we mentioned in terms of issues. Yep. And she was there right there at the same time they were Ford, Reagan, uh, Green, yeah. Goldwater, yeah. all the same the yeah. turmoil of the Republicans like we see today. So the Iowa caucuses are over, uh -huh. uh, survived Snowmageddon 2024, and now yeah. on to New Hampshire, Nevada, and Super Tuesday. What was your take on Iowa? What should we look at going forward to November for Republicans? Yeah. Well, first, an observation for your or your listeners and viewers on the system. I was on the Republican National Committee. I, I ran for chairman of the Missouri Republican Party against the incumbent, and they forgot to count the votes, and I won. And it was an upset. And then I went in, and I served on the RNC because of that. And so I was an outsider. And when I got to the RNC, I looked at the system, and I said, this system is rigged. 
um, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, those four in the beginning, in order to compete, you have to realistically raise about $150 million. And there's only a few people that can do that. And and they end up beholden to the moneyed class. I mean, the system is rigged in favor of control by the moneyed interests. Donald Trump shattered that because he didn't need their money. He had name ID and he earned media. But the rest of the time you watch. um, So I'm excited. Donald Trump, historic victory. He will be the nominee. I'm chagrined to see that Nikki Haley is is positioning to try to grab the money and stay in the game longer. Um, but, um, you know, the system is the system we've got. It's probably better than uh, most places in the world, but it's a it's a danger. And uh, Donald Trump shatters it, which is great. Uh, but going forward, uh, we have to worry about how it will work because, uh, in, in for example, in 2015 and 16, you watched the money go behind Jeb and uh, Scott Walker. They each raised $150 million. Uh, anybody else that wanted to run couldn't raise the money. You know, you could be Rick Santorum. You only got $20 bucks. You can't make it work. So um, – I think, look, Donald Trump had a historic win. I think he's got two things that are special about uh, Iowa. One, uh, he won so many counties. It's a big deal to to surge. But two, underlying that, he had a really sharp campaign. These sometimes losing like in 2020, whatever that what means, sharpens your saw. And these guys are are understanding the game uh, of politics. And that was an impressive grind in Iowa to do so well. Yeah. And the last three winners of Iowa, Huckabee, Santorum, and uh, I can't remember the most recent one, but they didn't go on to be president. So I guess it really doesn't matter, but we'll see. Uh, Super Tuesday's coming fast. Uh, PatriotFreedomProject.com. Tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll get into the meat of this. Yeah, thank you again. One of the things Phyllis Schlafly taught us to do is run towards the fight. We don't shy away. We don't we don't need we don't need the big donors. We don't need the inside money. And so we don't have to worry um, about taking the hard decisions after January 6th. And I was there. I was at Trump's speech uh, in the ellipse. I walked up to the Capitol. I went on to our offices. I didn't go uh, in the Capitol. If you're listening, NSA, FBI, everybody, I did not go in the Capitol. Uh, but uh, I'm sure they traced that already and saw. But I, I, I afterwards, I saw what was happening and I realized this is um, this. They're lying about this and they're lying about this in a way that is um, recognizable. If you know uh, what, say, the Bolsheviks did uh, in, in Russia, you know, 100 years ago. They they lie to set the storyline and then act on the lie. And that's what we saw happening. So I ended up um, because I'm a a lawyer and I'm I'm licensed in D.C., I ended up uh, taking uh, three or four clients so that other lawyers who are better at criminal law, I'm not much of a criminal lawyer, could help to help these guys. And I got drawn into that world and I realized that there are hundreds and hundreds of defendants who are uh, stuck in the system and they need our help. And then there are thousands and thousands of family members who are really stuck out at home without dad at home. Um, and I, the PatriotFreedomProject.com, we, we've raised a couple million dollars in small donations and we distribute it to uh, the defendants when they need lawyers um, and also a lot of times to the families. And we just came off a Christmas drive where we did a lot for the families. And, you know, I was telling you off the air, um, Steve, that um, – and this really makes me angry, so you'll see it in my energy level as it pops up. But um, the guys that are rotting in jail in this in America, in America, not in the Soviet Union, not in the Chinese, you know, communist gulags, in America, the guys that are rotting in jail were lied to by, uh, about by the government, the, the Congress, Pelosi, Cheney lied about them. The courts accepted the lie. And guys that should be home preparing for trial, getting a lawyer, are stuck in in hellish conditions. And all of those guys, Steve, with only a few exceptions that are stuck in jail, are not 
middle class and upper middle class and rich. If you're if you were if you had the money, you could get a lawyer. And I know a couple, and you get the hell out of jail. The guys that are there are working guys that that, that served in the military. They're not worried about their car payments. They're worried about their carburetor. They're not worried about their mortgage. They're worried about rent. And at home, their wives are taking two jobs, three jobs to try to make ends meet. Their kids are all whacked out because dad's gone and they're like it's it is so brutally cruel what has happened to these people. I've never ever dreamed I've seen injustice before in, in our legal system, but it tends to be one case, maybe two. This is systemic, intentional. It's just brutal. It's a, sh it's a shame on our nation. And so a Patriot Freedom Project, a lot of what we do is, you know, when one of these kids is at home, 14-year-old kid the other in, in November or so, uh, tooth problem, and they don't have $500 to get a, a a dentist to fix this in a family that's struggling. And so we help them in that way, too. So I'm, I'm very proud of that work, and I'm very proud that we can sort of grind and help every day. Don't worry about flashy. Worry about getting it done. Yeah, yeah, really well said. And it is an outrage for sure. We're not the United States of America at the moment, hopefully. Hopefully it passes, but guys like you are the ones that can can write the ship. So let me ask you some process questions. Yep. So the Supreme Court, they agreed to hear an appeal brought by yep. one man charged with offenses relating to the January 6, 2021 assault on the U.S. Capitol in a case that could have a major impact on the criminal prosecution of former President Donald Trump. The justices will hear a case brought by defendant Joseph Fisher, who is seeking to dismiss a charge accusing him of obstructing an official proceeding, namely yeah. the certification by Congress of President Joe Biden's election victory, which was disrupted by a mob of Trump supporters. It will take months for the justices to hear oral arguments and issue a ruling sometime during the court's current nine-month term, which ends in June. What right. are you expecting from that? Yeah, so this is a very important thing for people to hear, and, and I'm so glad to talk with you about it, because this sets out how dishonorable our some of our leaders have been and what they did. The, the law in question is called 1512C. It's a provision of law that was passed in the Sarbanes-Axley law. Some people may remember that. It was after Enron and Arthur Anderson nearly 20 years ago. When what they had was evidence tampering, people were messing with the evidence in 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 part in sort of down uh, uh, expecting to have an investigation. So there wasn't a formal investigation yet. They were messing with evidence. So they passed this provision that said you can obstruct an official proceeding if you do X, Y, Z. It had to do with evidence. It had to do with protecting evidence, not destroying. It had to do with making sure people didn't destroy documents, you know, paper, uh, electronic files. It didn't have to do with conduct, expressions of of your of your shredding, speech, basically shredding shredding yeah. documents well, that would prove criminality. Yeah. Right, and so and it was in the provision on witness tampering and a section on witness tampering. Down to today, starting in the Mueller investigation, there's a prosecutor named Andrew Weissman who was involved back then. He's a he's a bully. He's a bully that uses government against we the people. But under the Mueller investigation, he started saying we should charge Trump with obstruction of an official proceeding. And people said, "What are you talking about? That's not that's not any. There's no official proceeding. What what are you talking about?" And what they did with January 6 was they extended this, and it's a felony, by the way. It's a 20 year felony. So lots of our defendants in January 6 were charged with trespass and even vandalism. Well, those are misdemeanors. You you might pay a fine if you have no record, and most of these guys don't. You'd go to no jail. You'd pay a fine, be on probation. Then they tack on a felony, obstruction of official proceeding, dramatically 
but it's supposed to be about witness tampering and evidence, not about showing up and expressing yourself and and even uh, walking in the wrong place. And they did it intentionally because they wanted to get a felony in. Then they could say, these people were felonious. These people were really bad. They could go to jail for 20 years. And you're like, whoa, you must have done something if you're going to 20 years. And ultimately, it was to get Trump. And so what the Supreme Court has taken is, and a lot of us have been saying for years, take these cases because it's wrong. And and it was obvious that, that the prosecutors were always pairing this felony with these misdemeanors. And then they'd come in and say, take a plea deal. You've already been in jail for 18 months. If you take a plea deal, we'll recommend two and a half years and you won't. But if you go to jury, you could get 20. And they're like, holy cow, you know, what are you going to do? They, and they would never inv- they would never negotiate on the obstruction of official proceeding 1512, but everything else was on the table because they wanted to build this narrative that these people were uh, uh, insurrectionist terrorists. And that's what they did. And so, and it was to get Trump because that's what they charged. Two of the four charges against Trump are obstruction of official proceeding and obstru- or and conspiracy of official proceedings. So what the Supreme Court took- So was Ed, these- Ed, Ed, before yeah. you go there, you just nailed what I wanted to ask you. You know, that's the official narrative, obstruction of certification by Congress. Right. But really, the timing was of Ted Cruz's exactly. motion to audit the exactly. results that we all think were flawed. We see Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, lots of smoke and fire with illegal ballots and such. Do, do you agree the NBC News narrative is false for what they are charging them with? Yeah, well, yes, because and then that's what is up to the Supreme Court. And and so I let me I'm sorry I went too long, but let me tell you it, it, what's up to the Supreme Court is to say, wait, you overcharged this. It's not walking in. It's not even uh, gaveling out and a thing, no matter what happens. If it was, by the way, when Kavanaugh's uh, official proceeding was disrupted, Justice Kavanaugh, you should have charged those guys when they stormed the White House to, you know, last weekend and got across the lines. You're obstructing official work there, the work that was on. They had to empty it out. So it's a lie and it's a stretch. And the Supreme Court is taking the stretch saying, wait, that's not what it says. That's not what it was designed for. The second thing is, when, when you're walking around the Capitol, even if you're in the wrong place, the, 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 the law, the criminal law requires a corruptly element, meaning corruptly you do it for your benefit. There's no benefit to those individuals. The be- that What they wanted done was stop the voting until we can check on the fraud. That's not a corruptly standard. And my point here is not how stupid the law is and how unfair. It's how dastardly it's been applied against citizens. And, you know, uh, one of the jury uh, members of, of the one of the cases came out of the jury. She happened to work at C-SPAN. And so she went and did an hour-long interview with Brian Lamb. And she bragged about how she was the jury foreman and she was able to convince everyone to do this, this, and this. And he said to her, what about this obstruction of official proceeding? And she said, oh, it's obvious they obstructed it because Mike Pence gabbled out the event. Well, heck, if just deciding to stop the event is the way you get convicted of a felony, then every school board meeting, every city council meeting, every cabinet, this is the end of free speech and free assembly. And it's being done to us in front of our eyes by our fellow countrymen in our federal courts and we're not objecting. This is insanity. And so thankfully, the Supreme Court finally got a case that they can look at this. And as you mentioned, in the next four or five months, they will uh, get to it. And, and please, God, they will uh, uh, dispose of it correctly. And a lot of hundreds and Joseph, hundreds. That's Joseph, uh, Fi- Joseph Fisher. Yeah, again, Fisher so case. Yeah. Pay attention. Yeah. Um, you know, case. I thought the left went too far leading up to 2018 with the unleashing of Antifa and BLM. And now we've got <laughs> unleashing of pro Hamas and, and anti-Semitism in colleges. 
Uh, I'll never forget the Dem convention that tried to officially take a vote on removing God from their platform <laughs> yeah, that yeah, passed on yeah. a voice vote. Remember that? Yeah, yeah uh, I do. But the chair was savvy enough to say the nays had it, even though yeah. the TV would be like, oh, I don't think so. And That's they kept right. God in. So Nancy had done a good job keeping a lid on those forces until basically now, then, since she was the party leader for all those 30 years and also in charge of the Capitol Police. Do you agree the Democrats have become a modern day CPUSA and can't win national elections like that with with ideas like that? All the 60s radicals are still there in Congress now in leadership in their 80s. I, yeah, I mean, look, I, I certainly agree that the Democrat Party has become, uh, you know, beyond anything I ever imagined, how they use power, whether whether some of them are sophisticated enough to be card carrying communists or whether they're just following the leader, as you point out, the leader, what they're doing. I mean, look, again, the, the breathtaking, uh, you know, um, the arrogance of this, what we're seeing Anyone who's worked in operations in government, I was chief of staff to the governor of Missouri for a couple of years, knows that when there's a large event, you get briefed and, 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 and police and intelligence are active in a large event. It's always true. When I was the chairman of the Missouri Republican Party, Ferguson, the crazies came into Missouri and burned Ferguson to the ground. And when they did, there was intelligence installed in the rioters by the police. I had friends that were involved in it because you're always tracking. Nancy Pelosi knew exactly what was possible and she stood aside so that they could bring this on. Whether this was an intentional setup it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what their mindset was. What matters is they put in place a, a, a set of factors that made it so that the American people and those people, I, I've looked at thousands of hours of the video. I've gone in and looked at the J6 video, thousands and thousands of hours, because I've been obsessed with various, various aspects of it. The, the gallows and the noose, total fraud, total fraud. It was set up at 6.30 in the morning on January 6th by five guys. They're not MAGA guys. Maybe they're operatives for the government, or maybe they're leftists maybe their press, but I see them. I can see them on the camera. The pipe bomb, two pipe bombs set up the night before in front of the Democrat and National Committee. No, we don't know anything about them. And, and and then on the day of the thing, when all these people are coming, somehow uh, law enforcement makes all the wrong decisions. And even then, when you go look at the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours of video, 99.9% .9 of it is nonviolent people walking through places. And yet they weaponize the propaganda against this country so that half the country or more thinks that people were really out of control on January 6th, when only a handful were. And a lot of it was silly and stupid, but it certainly wasn't an insurrection. And Ray Epps, the only person on the <laughs> film saying go inside, got exactly. misdemeanor uh, exactly. what, probation and a five hundred dollars right. fine that he's appealing. So, you know, here's the interesting thing. NPR released the headline of a breach of, of the Capitol at 9 a.m. Eastern time. The video I've seen looks like 1230 p.m. Eastern time when the crowds come rushing in from the uh, the speech. So definitely looks like the fix was in right there on, you know, videotape. How come lawyers haven't been able to show judges their clients yeah. were innocent of everything except littering and walking on the grass at worst and get them off? Well, I mean, something is some some aspects of this are cherry picked by the prosecutors. They've been very decisive and very um, uh, intentional in taking the the cases that where you do have a guy get out of control and he hits a cop, right? So you, you know you've got that video, you've got somebody spraying mace, and you've got that video, and they have they haven't taken uh, they they've, they've used those to set the narrative uh, uh, more than others, and I think it's intentional. But look, I, I know it's intentional, but look, it's 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 also. Um, 
building the case you know this is like this is like a an, a lesson in in narrative building between the 19 million dollars that Liz Cheney and the select committee spent to lie about what happened and then the prosecutors and then the courts and what you're doing is building a narrative all along and the prosecutor in in the DC uh, uh US attorney announced 6 weeks ago he's going to arrest a thousand more people a lot of them that might have just walked through the capitol cuz they've really got their arms around the insurrection now and they're going to do it all next year this year right up to the election in other words they're going to use their power to scare people about an event that was different than we're, we're, the reality that we've been sold and they're going to keep doing it so again it's it's breathtaking to watch and they one of the things i would say steve that your listeners out there will understand the crown jewel of america is our constitution and the rule of law that's our crown jewel you go to england you can see the actual crown and and but our crown jewel also includes we the people uh, acting honorably Right now, there, there's a set of people, lawyers, who are supposed to be particularly honorable stewards of a system, and they are looking the other way. There's only a handful that are willing to stay up and call it what it is and call what's happening what it is, and that's terrifying. It should be scary if our legal system is becoming uh, uh, filled with people who just don't want to be hassled and are watching this happen uh, to their fellow uh, countrymen. It is quite amazing. I always refer people to the movie Conspiracy, um, which basically showed all the lawyers and doctors getting around a table and going along with the Nazis to end up ultimately what they had by giving them legal cover to get away with it. And people always ask, how could they possibly do that? Well, right. there you go. Um, we had a gentleman on that had the option and took a bench trial instead of a yeah. jury trial. And now he has to turn himself in next month. Uh -huh. uh, the judge yelled at him from the bench, so clear bias. Have there been any successful appeals for misconduct of judges or the prosecutors? Yeah, not, not, um, um, not, not really. Not, not that I can think of, Steve. That they, they, there's lots of aspects of this that are frustrating. Uh, for uh, you, you just said it. I, I was up on Capitol Hill and I was telling a, a, a member of Congress, if I, I'm going to make that, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go get the transcript. These judges, when they sentence these, sentence these people. They, they act like lunatics. They, they lecture them and treat them like just like garbage. And it, I say to people, look, I grew up in the era. I was a young lawyer watching the Osama bin Laden and prosecuting the war on terror. And, and I think there were some real people we could call terrorists. That's how we treat, we're treating these people, how we act. It's outrageous. Uh, the, the short answer is not really. Um, the place where you can uh, the, the place you can modify judges misbehavior is on appeal. It hasn't really happened for things like that. Being a jerk is not a uh, appealable offense in in a for a judge. And, and there's a lot of jerk like behavior uh, in these cases. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit like when people say I've been on these calls with judges and they're and they're tolling the Speedy Trials Act. You know, you say, these guys shouldn't be in jail for two and a half years. They should get a trial faster. And what happens is the DOJ comes in and says, we've got more uh, documents and more video we're reviewing. We're not ready. And and you say, no, judge, we want to keep moving ahead. And, and the judge says, they're reviewing video. And he says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to toll the statute, the, the, uh, the timeline, the calendar on the Speedy Trials Act. It's not appealable. It's it's a kind of inter uh, inter uh, case fight, and so you kind of then you say, well, I'm not going to be uh, getting on the bad side of the judge, and you you find these cases rolling along uh, again. The way we're treating this class of people is like they are terrorists. It is wrong. It's truly wrong, and it needs to stop. And it and people need to be held accountable. I often say, Steve, sorry, They've but been in who, awful conditions, right? Every day, oh Torture, yeah, dank cells. Yeah, that means toilets, solitary confinement. I mean, is yeah. there a single case where they deserve to be there this long and, and treated cruelly? 
I don't I don't think there's I don't think there's a defensible case that any of them are held this long. No, I mean, two, two and a half years waiting trial. I just don't think that's uh, defensible. Again, I, I would. I mean, and the I, warden I, in D.C. seems to be like a sadist. You know, tell us about the Capitol Police Force, the National Guard and the Speaker of the House's role in all this and how with Republicans in Congress having the uh, majority, they could put an end to this, send everyone yeah. home on probation with a future court date, for example. But they haven't. Yes, that's right. I mean, well, first of all, uh, D.C. court, the D.C. Uh, jail, once they realized Republicans were going to win the House, they started to move everybody and so, and they realized they were going to get scrutiny. So that's not thankfully, that's not as bad as it once was. But you're exactly right. Look, the U.S. House is it controls the, the Capitol Police. It controls the, uh, the District of Columbia. They are at the center of this and they could do, as you say, they could they could demand more. They could push more. I, I agree with you. One thing that could say is, hey, look, you don't have to drop all the charges. If you've got good charges, proceed. But let these people go home. Let them let them be from a, they're not really flight risks. They're not really dangerous. That it's just it's it's a lie that's done to further this uh, suffering and uh, frankly to make more people say I'm not going to raise my voice. I, I I got a wife and kids. I got to you know. I mean, move Ed, ahead. four of them have committed suicide, right? I mean, this that's is right. some serious stuff. They couldn't handle the terrorism charges. So the Capitol Police are also rolling out into the states. I think they're in Florida, which has the most J sixers. They're out, yeah. out there in San Francisco, where Nancy's from. So let's talk states' rights. Here in Tennessee, a Tennessee judge dismissed a case of a Williamson County sheriff, and the federal courts picked him back up, and he's in jail in D.C. now with the God Bless America 9 p.m. singers. His wife was on here. Um, really unfair, it seems, from the outside. How can the federal government, Department of Justice, basically, I don't know if it's called double jeopardy or not, but basically take a defendant who'd been, the case had been tried and tossed out in the state, and bring him back to D.C. to do it all over again while they sit in jail waiting for their trial. Yeah. Well, I don't know the specifics on how far that case went in terms of being adjudicated. I do know that the federal government are, are being bullies about this. Like you just said, that they when they don't get what they want, they come in and they assert jurisdiction over over these uh, prisoners and then they pull them to D.C. Again, I, I was uh, talking earlier today on a different uh, uh, interview and I was saying we need radical reform. Uh, you know, for one thing, you shouldn't have to be uh, in D.C. for a venue ever. If you it, it was just pass and, and Congress could do this. Uh, you have to have the president sign it, but it should say if you're if you're being tried in D.C., you can take a venue change back to where you're from, so that you can get out of this this, this swamp where the jury pool is only a few hundred thousand people total, and it's being completely dominated by both government employees—that's a large majority—or working with related industries and also the media uh, push. Um, so, but they're bullies. They're just bullies. You mentioned the suicide. At least one of those suicides, which I know very well the details of, it was a phone call from the prosecutor saying we're going to seek a terror. Terrorism enhancement, which means your 12-month sentence only served nine months is going to go up to maybe three or four years that pushed this guy to kill himself. And the prosecutor said later, we weren't probably going to hold to it. We, if he just hung on, we would have dropped that. The, these people are playing with the lives of Americans. It's not what's supposed to happen. And you ask what That's people like, can do. Sure. Your, your members have to get better. The, the, the senators have a lot of sway. And the members of the House, have, if they're Republican, have a lot of control. They have to be willing to change the mindset and fight. And I'll tell you, a lot of the staffers for these members of Congress were there on that day. And they, and they, of course, they were told this was a, a grand terrorist attack. They they were told lockdown and all. And it turns out it was nothing, right? It was not any threat at all. But they're, 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 they're wimpy. 
I mean, they're scared. They probably have PTSD and they've had to listen to all the, the rhetoric. You've got to demand that your people lead. Now, the good news is two years ago when I was first starting a lot of these cases, people didn't want to talk about it. You bring it up and even the people on your side were scared. Now more and more people are comfortable. We've got to make progress every single day to try to stop this and stop it from happening ever again, but also stop what's happening right now. So Ed, a good lawyer can get a client off on just about anything. I mean, we, we all remember the OJ trial, right? Yeah. Maybe not yeah. everybody who listens to this show, but I certainly do. I lived through that. Capitol Police Special Agent David Lazarus's perjury in the Oath Keepers trial, founder Stuart Rhodes was sentenced to 18 years in prison for seditious conspiracy. That should be tossed out, right? Harry Dunn told the FBI two stories, and Lazarus came in and confirmed the bad one about the Oath Keepers not helping Dunn, but was in a different building. So perjury yeah. again. They want to put the journalist Stephen Baker in jail for covering this, uncovered those Lazarus lies. Yep. He said, my attorney has been notified by FBI that I'm going to be charged by the Justice Department for my journalistic efforts on January 6th. I have to self-surrender on Tuesday. Charges are yet unknown. He said in a tweet, he's with the blaze. Um, why can't the defendant's lawyers, the defense attorneys say, Judge this witness perjured himself, toss it out, send him home. Well, I mean, they're, they're, again, uh, um, without getting all the way into sort of criminal procedure, um, you know, a lot of those objections should and were made at the trial. And uh, and they should have been, you know, in terms of impugning the credibility of these witnesses um, and then trying to go up on appeal. When something comes out, like you're saying, though, a new detail, a new fact, a new message, there's a chance to go back in. You've got to go back into the court and say, Your Honor, you need to reopen this. Look at what we've got. This is a direct contradiction. They said X. It turns out it was Y. That was a lie. And it had a material impact that you got to play the system. And it's it's in this case, the system is so stacked against our folks, January 6th folks. It's going to take a break and it's going to take uh, some some real uh, grind to get it done because they, there's there's ways that the system is, is meant to not make it so, you know, you can um, have the story changed after the fact, and suddenly you're letting everybody out. But in the J6 context, it's like when people say, are you for a pardon of people in J6? I say, yes. And they say, what about people that are nonviolent? I say, no, no. If you, This whole thing was such a setup that while I would never condone hitting a cop, the people that were put in a position and charged with that were put in a position. It's it's not entrapment. It's much more sophisticated than entrapment. It's a, it's much more a, a, almost like an incitement on behalf of the entire system to get a result and then to name it. And so I'm for pardoning all the people that were related to January 6th because I think it was such an egregious thing. And if we don't break it, Steve, if we don't get to the truth, this is going to haunt our country. This is it's being used. You can see it. Joe Biden kicked off his campaign for re-election. And the centerpiece was, oh, uh, be scared of everybody. They had an insurrection on January 6th. You're like, dude, it's not just that you're addled. It's that you're lying in a way that hurts your fellow citizens. We've never had a president that went after a group of his own citizens like we're having this guy. We, we, haven't, we haven't had somebody do this since the Civil War. That's what Joe Biden is doing. You've never heard Trump go after the groups of people, those supporters, goes after individuals, Joe Biden, everybody else. This guy goes after groups of American citizens and says, you're beneath us. Uh, it, this is a wild moment and it's got to be confronted. There's only one person acting like a dictator in the last five or seven years of American life, and it's Joe Biden and his team. Yeah. 
And one of the Proud Boys, Enrico Tario, was in Baltimore on January 6th. Yeah. He got 20 not, years. Yeah, for, not even there. So, not even yeah, there. Not it's even wild. there. Um, all right, I've only got a few minutes left, but I wanted to quote you because uh, it's easier to, to quote you than to make it up. You wrote in October that it was a lie that Liz Cheney and Nancy Pelosi and the Jan 6 Select Committee kept using as propaganda a gallows and noose on January 6th, but they never asked who put it there and when. You did and found the Gallows Gang. Nancy's yep. daughter is a documentary filmmaker and was there following her around all day. We saw clips of how angry she was. Trump didn't enter the Capitol. That would have been the springing the big trap. Uh, total setup. Why was Nancy and her daughter, have they not been huh. sued in anyone's discovery yeah. in their defense? And yeah. was the Gallows Gang part of that? And what is Mr. Coffee or who was Mr. Coffee? Well, I mean, so first of all, um, on the morning of, of of January 6th, as soon as the the um, uh, things went bad, there was an iconic image that was used, and and Joe Biden used it in his first ad last week when he was started running for re-election, and the images of a of a gallows with a noose and the Capitol in between. It set up. It was set up down by the reflecting pool in a perfect spot to get this iconic shot. It was as if you staged it, and it was staged. And so, as you know, Bubba Wallace, the NASCAR driver, discovered what he thought was a noose in his garage one day. Within three hours, the FBI hate crime unit was there. Within three days, they had established it was not a hate crime, Bubba Wallace, uh, but have at it. In, in this case, someone came and built a major thing. I found it on the video by looking at the video for hours. They come, they get out of a van, they wheel it across the, the, the uh, uh, mall. They set it up. They've got piece of electric tools. There's five guys. They go get coffee. They wait. They don't, that's at 6.30 in the morning. They don't set, on January 6th, they don't set up the noose and the crossbeam until right at 1.10. When, when uh, the, the uh, uh, Pence has gaveled in the session, Trump is finishing his speech, and now they've got the iconic image. My point is simply this. If someone is slurring America so badly, the world sees that all the time, then let's get to the bottom of it. If it was some MAGA jerk, I'm happy to call him a jerk. Like, it's a stupid thing. You're, you're a jerk. That's not a joke. But it's not, because I see the faces of these guys. It's somebody doing this on purpose, whether it's an op of the government or somebody, I don't know, just the politics, just the uh, reporters, I don't know. But why in the name of all that's righteous and good, if we spend $19 million, Nancy Pelosi, Liz Cheney, to get to the bottom of J6, they don't mention the pipe bomber until page 250 of their report, and they don't get to the bottom of who made us look so bad. It's because they're lying. They don't care. And so, you know, to your point on uh, Nancy Pelosi, she's never been held accountable. Her daughter has, as far as I know, never turned over all the videos she took, right? She's that it's hers. And it's hard when you're being charged on X uh, action occurring here to claim that you can get something where there's not a nexus. You're, it, it's just going to be a harder claim. But my point is, why aren't the politicians, elected officials demanding it? You could say, we want to see that and try to get it as an investigatory body of the U.S. House. Uh, but again, we've got to get our people to fight more. They've got to be willing to fight, not dirty, not unclean, not even hidden. Just get to the bottom of this stuff and see what the truth is. Because I believe that, that the um, Gallows gang, I call him Mr. Coffee, the ringleader is a guy wearing a hat. He goes off and gets coffee and comes back. He goes to a coffee shop. I walked into the coffee shop the day after I found this video. And I said to the woman behind there, I said, there's a guy that's got this fedora, walking stick. He wears this big jacket. You know what I mean? She said, I, has he been around here? And she said, um, he hasn't. No, I don't know. He's been around here. Not recently. 
And she said, if you leave me your number, if I see him, I'll give it to him. And I said, I'm not giving you my number. So this, I'm not an investigator. I'm not a journalist. I'm not an FBI agent. And I found a trail to this guy and we don't know who it is, right? This is crazy. And we should get to the bottom of it because it's damaging the country. But right now we have people that don't want to get to the bottom of it because they like damaging our country. All right. Last one. Uh, You wrote in October, um, are, are Republicans being hunted by Democrats and the government? Newsweek reports that an administration mouthpiece that the FBI is targeting people who support MAGA views. Joe Biden has referred to supporters of MAGA, uh, supporters of Trump as MAGA extremists. Do you think they'll use voter rolls and social media to keep going if they win in November? Oh, yeah. Look, I I think if they win in November, I think um, it's funny you say that. I, I don't think about it much. I just I hope and pray we have a different administration. Uh, but I was thinking about it recently. I, I I don't know how to calculate what we'll see. Look, they're, they're heading. They 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 focused on conservative Catholics. Those are MAGA voters. The conservative Catholics voted for Trump. That's known. That's what they focused on. They focused. The FBI has now admitted it wasn't just the Richmond office. It was all the offices. They were focusing on conservative Catholics who vote Trump. They took the January 6th and they focused on the January 6th rolling up people related to Trump. This isn't it's not hard to see this. If you look at the uh, investigations they've done, the IRS are targeting people. This is Obama and Biden. They've loved that. They, they've used government this way uh, for more than a decade now. I, I don't know what they'll do. If you're willing to stand up like Joe Biden is and say that a class of people who you disagree with politically are evil, which is what he says regularly, then if you believe that or if you've led people to believe it, you have to expect that they'll act. That's what reasonable people do. If you're told so-and-so is evil, we must stop him. If I tell you that that someone is Hitler, you and I would get together and say, that person's going to be Hitler. We have a moral obligation to stop them any way we can. I, I think you and I, we go back to 1939. I think we'd probably say we do. We, we, we Knowing what we know, we should do it. That's what they're doing to this country. And I believe it'll get worse. I think they'll use voting rolls. I think they'll use your membership in other uh, associations and they won't be shy about it. They're not being shy. The American people should know this is it's a systematic effort to stifle our freedom. And it's working right now. It's working. Yeah, most of the Secretary of States were either appointed or elected as partisans, so they have the access there. Not, I wouldn't put it past them. But on that happy note, Mr. <laughs> Martin, thank you for your time. Um, uh, where can our listeners go to find out more about you and, and follow your social media? Well, PatriotFreedomProject.com is where I hope you'll look to see how you can help these great families and defendants. I'm on X at Eagle Ed Martin. I do a lot of work there at Eagle Ed Martin. And uh, I do, I write, you mentioned the Pro-America Report. I do a radio show each day. And also I I write a a, a daily uh, email and you go to ProAmericaReport.com. Uh, you can sign up there uh, and, and get... Uh, uh, my my writings there. So we're out in the fight a lot. And uh, thank you for the chance to talk. And I do want to finish up beat. I believe in the Lord protecting us and, and giving us another blessing for this country. And so I, I'm, I'm confident, you know, what we're fighting for is uh, other men and women made in the image and likeness of God. And so that's the best. The best news is Christ died for my sins. And these people around us are made in the image and likeness of God. What a thing to know, right? What a thing to be able to do. And so, you know, America has been the best in the world ever at uh, respecting people, not perfect. Uh, and we're going to do it again and again and again. And I think that the coming years will be glorious. Not uh, uh, They'll be glorious no matter what, but I don't think they'll be as destructive as they've been the last few, I hope and pray. Yeah. And the truth will out and we just got to get those guys back to their families. Okay. Well, thanks again for coming on with us. We'll have you on again soon. Thank you, sir.
my name is Tom Anko. I'm a freelance writer and a staunch conservative, and you're listening to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof. Look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. I don't Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show. Producer Steve, what do you think of our guest, Ed Martin? Man, he talks fast. Uh, he, he knows how to uh, get what he needs to get in. I've been in that position myself, being interviewed by a host and knowing that I had 10 minutes and I took up <laughs> nine minutes of the 10. But um, yeah, what a, what a firebrand. We need more like him. And everything he said, you and I have been talking about now since we've had our show. And and the fact is remains is that uh, as he pointed out, the Republican Party has pretty much sat with their thumb up their you know what and s- remained silent. To yeah, me, very disappointing. Very that disappointing. is a travesty. That is showing you that they don't care about true justice or law. So we need to vote somebody else in those positions who does believe in that. Producer Steve, what's your middle name? Stanley. Mine's Mark. What's your dad's name? Stanley. Mine was Harvey, actually Hyam, but they changed it at Ellis Island to Harvey. He died in 1977 when I was six. Um, what was your dad's dad's name? Peter. Your grandpa's name? Peter, yep. What was your uh, his dad's name, your great-great-grandfather's name? I've got it list- listed at my, um, at my house, and I cannot remember, but I've got uh genealogies that go back probably on my mother's side at least 10 generations back to 1600s wow. and then my grandfather's side it goes back to uh it may have been Lieber or Lieber was my grandmother on my father's side and it goes back to when they were in Bavaria and um so yeah that's pretty good that's pretty good mine was lost in World War II so no clue who my great-grandfather was um sadly because I'd have a lot of questions for that guy um let's start to off with uh, clip number one. So, Esmeralda, the little boss, is that Mexican? Your name is Spanish, but I am Colombian. That's some mail you got there, honey. Thank you. And what is your name? Butch. Butch. What does it mean? I'm an American, honey. Our names don't mean shit. So, moving right along, Esmeralda, what is it you want to know? You can stop there. (laughs) That was Pulp Fiction. Fiction. Uh, Man, that movie blew me away when I was young. 1994, I was in film school and had never seen anything like that movie before. Anyway, uh, names and their meanings. American names like Butch don't mean 
anything except Sundance Kid, I guess. But uh, the Bible's names do. Yep. I reread I reread Matthew five seventeen through eighteen on the break, um, and I wanted to share it with you. Think not that I have come to destroy the Torah and the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. A jot and a tittle are the Hebrew equivalent of our dotted an I and the crossing of a T. So I got to thinking about names in the Bible and their translations to English. You know, like Methuselah comes from Muth, a root that means death, and from Salah, which means to bring or to send forth. So the name Methuselah means his death shall bring. Might be kind of important, right? Like God wanted to tell us something. Um, a remarkable example of this can be glimpsed in Genesis chapter 5, genealogy of Adam through Noah, the first through, at the time, the last. Adam, Adam's name means man, as the first man, that seems straightforward enough. Seth, Adam's son, was named Seth, which means appointed. Eve said, for God hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Enosh, Seth's son was called Enosh, which means mortal, frail, or miserable. It is from the root Anosh, to be incurable, used of a wound, grief, woe, sickness, or wickedness. It was in the days of Enosh that men began to defile the name of the living God. Steve, you're nodding your head, so you know all this, but yes. maybe somebody listening doesn't. Kenan, Enosh's son, was named Kenan, which can mean sorrow, dirge, or elegy, the precise denotation is somewhat elusive. Some study aids unfortunately presume that Canaan is synonymous with Canaan. Balaam, looking down from the heights of Moab, used a pun upon the name of the Canaanites when he prophesied their destruction. We have no real idea as to why these names were chosen for their children. Often they have uh, may have referred to circumstances at birth and so on. Mahalel, Canaan's son was Mahalel from Mahalal, which means blessed or praised, and Al, the name of God. Thus, Mahal means the blessed God. Often Hebrew names include El, the name of God, or Dan, A, Al, yep. God is my judge, etc. Jared, Mahal's son, was named Jared from the verb Yarod, I believe, meaning shall come down. Enoch, Jared's son was named Enoch, which means teaching or connect commencement he was the first of four generations of preachers in fact the earliest recorded prophecy was by enoch which amazingly enough deals with the second coming of christ although it is quoted in the book of jude in the new testament enoch also the seventh from adam prophesied of these saying behold the lord cometh with ten thousandth of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against. Jude 14, 15. Methuselah, I told you about. Enoch was the father of Methuselah, who we have already mentioned. Enoch walked with God after he began Methuselah. Apparently, Enoch received the prophecy of the great flood and was told that as long as his son was alive, the judgment of the flood would be withheld. The year Methuselah died, the flood came. Yep. Did you know that? Yes, I did. I was. Our pastor was uh, preaching you were there? through this. Oh. No, no. My, our pastor has been preaching through Genesis, and I told him, you know, it says Noah's father passed away, and then you look at the very year that Methuselah passed away was the year that the flood happened. 
Enoch, of course, never died. He was translated, or if you'll excuse the expression, raptured. That's how Methuselah came to be the oldest man in the Bible, yet he died before his father. Uh, Lamech, Methuselah's son, was named Lamech, a root still evident today in our own English word lament or lamentation. Lamech suggests despairing. This name is also linked to the Lamech in Cain's line who advertently killed his son, Tubal Cain, in a hunting accident. And then Noah. Lamech, of course, is the father of Noah, which is derived from Nahum to bring relief or comfort, as Lamech himself explains in Genesis 5.29. Now, here's something you may not know. You tell me if you do at the end. Adam, man, Seth, appointed, Enosh, mortal, Kenan, sorrow, Mahalel, the blessed God, Jared shall come down, Enoch, teaching, Methuselah, his death shall bring, Lamech, the despairing, Noah, rest or comfort. Man is appointed, mortal, sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching, that his death shall bring the despairing rest, Jesus Christ. Methuselah was 187 when he had Lamech and lived 782 years more. Lamech had Noah when he was 182, Genesis 5, 25 through 28. The flood came in Noah's 600th year, Genesis 7, 6 through 11. Five minutes. 600 plus 182 equals 782nd year of Lamech, the year Methuselah died. It demonstrates that in the earliest chapters of the book of Genesis, God had already laid out his plan of redemption for the predicament of mankind it is a love story written in blood on a wooden cross which was erected in judea almost two thousand years ago um i'm gonna say goodbye to everybody on tecn.tv i got some more things to say so if you want to hear it come on over to our rumble channel or itunes spotify deezer any of your favorite podcast apps podomatic of course uh and you can hear the rest of this um, actually, the next segment, I'm done with that one. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest from Adam to Noah. Pretty cool, I think. Oh, I love um, it. I love it. All right. So uh, let's say goodbye and then we'll done. move on. Okay. Clip number two. DJ, there's a lot to sort through after that game, but let's start with the game-winning touchdown to Tank Dell. What'd you see? First and foremost, man, I got to give all glory and praise to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, man. Uh, it, uh, these last couple weeks, man, been up and down. I've been going through a lot on and off the field, man. But when you give your life to the Lord, man, he gives you opportunities, and it's what you do with it. So he gave me this opportunity to come back in a two-minute drill, and we run great routes, got great time management with the coaches, and we go score touchdowns. Really- all right. So we got a little comment on Rumble yesterday saying uh, our episode on Thursday was not very Christian because we had Shecky Green on, which I thought was pretty funny. The man died. has given him a little honor. Somebody didn't like that. That's okay. But here we are. We're being very Christian now. So that was CJ Stroud. He is Texas Titans man of God. CJ Stroud is, is in the midst of perhaps the greatest rookie quarterback season in NFL history. He added another mark to his resume Saturday afternoon. Stroud is now the league's youngest ever quarterback to win a playoff game after the Houston Texans 45-14 route of the Cleveland Browns in the AFC wildcard round. Stroud, who's 20 years old, 102 days on Saturday, 20 and 102, surpassed former Atlanta Falcons quarterback Michael Vick, who was 22 years, 
192 days old when he defeated Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field in January 2003. It's been a while. Stroud's full name is Coleridge Bernard Stroud IV, which was passed down from his great-grandfather. The name originated from a 19th century Greek philosopher. Coleridge Bernard Stroud III is serving a 38-year sentence for 2015 charges of carjacking, kidnapping, robbery, and misdemeanor sexual battery. The name derives from a philosopher from the 1800s, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, an English philosopher and poet. Coleridge is most famous for his theory of life philosophy, which analyzes someone's personal engagement with life. He has gone on to influence many great British philosophers and poets and was one of the leading minds of his time. No matter how hard he gets hit, God has him covered. God is the almighty healer. God got a blessing with his name on it. He will come back stronger, wiser, more determined, will continue to break records with only God. He can do it. Good luck, C.J. Stroud. So sorry, Bruce Willis's butch. Guess American names do mean something sometimes. <laughs> Keep an eye on C.J. Stroud as he makes a name for himself and not just offensive rookie of the year. Redeems his entire family story, as I told you about his father, who he is more than willing to talk about. So it's not as if I'm dissing the guy. So, Steve, um, I want to interrupt real quick. Do you know what your name means? Well, my real name is Yeshia, and that means Jesus. Ah, that is your first name? <laughs> Steve is uh, my American name, which doesn't mean anything like yours, but Yeshia is my Hebrew name, and uh, it is Ben Chaim, son of Chaim, my dad, Harvey, which means life in Hebrew. So I am Jesus, the son of life. That's interesting because mine is Stephen, and it it is represented a crowned one. Okay, well, there you go. Crowned one, Yes. life. <laughs> yes. I am no savior, believe me, folks. That's not the point. That's just what they name me as. Little baby, I'm actually named after Steve McQueen. For those that really want to get down into the 1970s trivia, since I was born in 71, uh, but my dad did come from Eastern Europe, and yes. uh, his was Hyam, and at Ellis Island, they said that won't fly. Where do you want it to be? And they wrote Harvey down. No middle name. Kind of interesting. Okay, this is Todd and Jesse Camp, and we are formerly management of Donaldson Bowling Center, Nashville's oldest lanes, and you are listening to the Mill Creek View Tennessee Podcast. All right, time for my quote for the day. Before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, search for Mill Creek View, and hit that subscribe button as many times as you can. Uh, it's really helping us out quite a bit. We are over a thousand followers on Twitter. It's, it's happening, folks, and I really hope you like it. Women have babies and men provide the support. If you don't like the way we're made, you've got to take it up with God. Phyllis Shell Ackley. Holy smokes. Can you imagine what Glisten would do with that if they knew <laughs> who she was back then? Sexual harassment on the job is not a problem for virtuous women. Phyllis Schlafly. The best way to improve economic prospects for women is to improve job prospects for the men in their lives, even if that means increasing the so-called pay gap. Yep, they would hate her for that one. Feminism has nothing at all to do with being feminine. Feminine means accentuating the womanly attributes that make women deliciously different from men. The feminine woman enjoys her right to be a woman. 
She has a positive outlook on life. She knows she is a person with her own identity and that she can seek fulfillment in the career of her choice, including that of traditional wife and mother. Phyllis Schlafly. We need more Phyllises and less Randys and Claudine Gays, I'll tell you that. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Ed Martin, for reminding us we have the tools we need to fix all this, just not the political will from those in charge. We crossed the $34 trillion mark with a, with a T, debt, uh, this week. That's a $1 trillion a year in interest our great-great-grandkids get to pay back, maybe. Oh, last year we lost uh, a lot of great people. The cause of death was released from Sinead O'Connor's. They say natural causes, not lung cancer from a lifetime of smoking or thankfully not suicide from depression. She suffered through or pain, as most have speculated. Um, clip number one, and then we'll take it on that. It's not what you were, you were writing in that, in that letter, which was, yeah. no, but it seemed to be, from, from reading it again today, you, you seemed to be saying, look, you're young, you're, you seem to be a bit impressionable or you're a bit in trouble at the moment. Be careful. You seem to be kind of reaching a hand out, actually, when you wrote that letter and said, look, be careful. Look after yourself. I've been down this road. I know what it's like. Don't give in to the corporate head the balls. That's well, what you seem yeah, to be saying. Am yeah. I right in saying that? Well, yeah. But at this stage, I think if we have nine or so minutes to talk on here, I think the important thing to say is that there's a certain alarm needs to get rung. And I know that a lot of musicians around the country and around the world will agree. Music is being murdered. Rock and roll is being murdered. The power of rock and roll to change things uh, or to move people is being murdered by all of this worship of fame, pop idol, X Factor, all of this stuff. People, you know, people like Simon Cowell and, and Louis Walsh, who doesn't even know how to burn a CD as of the last time I saw him, um, deciding what records should sound like and, and deciding who gets to be famous and who doesn't. Okay, so what about, the, let's say, all the people so, who buy, say, Westlife or, again, One Direction, watching tonight and going, oh, but Sinead, like, I really love their music. So you well, might like, it might be cool enough for, for you, that's but I not, love That's it. not the point I'm making. In fact, I quite clearly said I don't... But you're saying they're murdering the music. But I'm saying that it, why I got involved in the issue of whether or not it's appropriate for 20-year-old women to be asked to lick sledgehammers in, in videos for songs that have no lyrical reference to any such thing in them, um, is, is I would see as an exploitation of somebody who's possibly a little too young to understand the dangers of allowing oneself to be exploited in that way. Amen. So she was offering good advice for Miley Cyrus. Don't think she took it. Actually, she slapped back. Um, she had been working on an album coming out this year, so had something to look forward to, to live for. Uh, don't know if Ireland lists vaccine injury as natural causes these days, but rest in peace, Sinead, Marie, Bernadette O'Connor. You were right about the Vatican and children, it seems. She was 56, and I saw her live in Seattle on my birthday at the Neptune the night COVID broke. Wow. Unforgettable. Uh, Could have got it because we were in a crowd full of people. This is uh, goodbye for now. I am your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. See you all tomorrow. Peace in our time and definitely glory to God. Let's hear her producer, Steve. Muslim conversion name, Shahada Sadaqwat David. But this is the good old days, 1995, before all that. Take us home, clip number two. This is the last day of our acquaintance. I will meet you later in somebody's office. 
laughter of the children and the pumpkins at the county fair. They were looking for America behind every turn, flying the very colors that so many love to burn. I'll cruise the countryside. Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.